Hello, everybody. Welcome to Indisputable. I'm your host today, Jessica Burbank, filling in for Dr. Rashad Ritchie. We've got some good stories for you, and who better to break them down with me than Ravana? Welcome, Ravana. How you doing? I'm good. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm happy to be here with you. We haven't done any co-hosting together, so I'm excited. This is a first. This is a first. So this is a big day. Are you ready <laughs> to get into it? Let's do it. All right, we've got a bit of a breaking story. This happened early hours this morning. Paul Pelosi was attacked with a hammer at the Pelosi residence up in Northern California by San Francisco. Paul Pelosi is 82 years old. The husband of the Speaker of House of the House, Nancy Pelosi, was attacked with a hammer at their San Francisco home. We know that it was a male assailant. We don't have a ton of details on him or his motivations, but it was early this morning on Friday. He was hospitalized and his injuries are serious, but he's expected to make a full recovery. Now, Paul Pelosi is known for being a bit of a real estate mogul, owning financial leasing services, and a San Francisco based venture capitalist on top of owning a lot of shares in many different companies. So much so that the Pelosi's have made enough money to amass a net worth of over $100 million. They're known for their investments. There's this insider portfolio that actually mimics all of their investments. So you can invest exactly how they invest, which is shocking because they consistently outperform the market. So that's a little bit about who Paul is. But again, we don't know why the assailant did this. Some more details on that. The assailant entered the Pelosi residence through the back of the house, according to two sources familiar with the early details of the incident. There may be video that US Capitol Police and law enforcement can review as there are security cameras at the home, according to two law enforcement services. The US Capitol Police released a statement saying that they are assisting the FBI and San Francisco police with a joint investigation into the break-in at the Pelosi residence in California. The statement from the Democratic Speaker's office provides further information on how law enforcement responded, saying that special agents with the USCP's California field office quickly arrived on the scene, while a team of investigators from the department's threat assessment section was simultaneously dispatched from the East Coast to assist the FBI and the San Francisco police with a joint investigation. Drew Hamill, who's a spokesperson for Nancy Pelosi, said the assailant is in custody and a motive is being investigated. The speaker was in Washington at the time of the attack with Speaker Pelosi away. There would not have been a security detail at the residence, according to one source familiar with protocol. And a bit more details on the security protocol over there. So because Paul Pelosi is not an elected official, he does not receive protection from the United States Capitol Police or any other entity when he is not with the speaker. Now, it very clearly seems like this was an attack on Nancy Pelosi. There are some unconfirmed reports that that is why he was at the residence. Now, we can speculate as to what the motivations were, but I would just like to offer up, you know, we do have a lot of people in public office who make a ton of money, right? They're members of the ruling class, they are the elites. Oftentimes, we experience one sided state violence. There are a lot of policies that Nancy Pelosi herself has had a hand in blocking. There's a lot more she could have pursued policy wise that would have saved many people's lives. 
But I don't think this attack was someone seeking justice for how Pelosi has governed too often. We see these attacks and their attack on democracy itself. And there are people who are motivated by wanting to live in a Christian nationalist and fascist state. We've seen a lot of attacks like this in the United States, thinking of January 6th, thinking of mass shootings. So I'm not sure that the motivations we'll ever hear about. But a lot of people are wondering, I want to bring Ravana in and get your thoughts on this. Yeah, so of course we don't have the motive yet. They said you said they're investigating it and we'll probably get some information out, you know, within the next couple of weeks. But of course there's the chance that this person was just, you know, doing a property crime and accidentally picked the house where Congresswoman Nancy Pelosi lives. But then there's also the chance that this was a targeted attack, you know, intended to hurt Nancy Pelosi. And we've seen a lot of rise in right wing rhetoric telling their constituents from like you know politicians even you know going on the stage Donald Trump rallies saying saying things like the democrats are trying to steal this country from you they are going to come after you Marjorie Taylor Greene was at a Trump rally and she said that we need to fight back against the communists who have stolen our country and those words have consequences those words could inspire and probably have on many occasions we saw it with January 6th inspired violence so i would be surprised if that you know those things are connected. Yeah, absolutely. So well said. I think a lot about what these folks' education was and upbringing was who who do things like this. Whenever something like this happens and the motivations are political, think about how we don't teach critical thinking or accurate history in public schools, and we don't teach civics to the full extent that we should. And then when you have this rhetoric being spewed, like your freedoms are being taken away by these politicians who are Democrats, you know, the culture wars, it's not the public's fault that they can't dissect this and really understand that the people who are responsible for public goods not being delivered in the state of our country, when they can't sort that out, I understand why they're they're angry. And it's really a sad case because now they hear this rhetoric and they want to take action on it because they think that this is the real bad guy. These are the real people causing the problems in our country. And so I always think, you know, what do we do from here? And really what we do at TYT is try and educate people on this stuff. We we tell the story of the news with those perspectives included. And as much as we can hate on Nancy Pelosi, we have to understand that, you know, this attack was most likely done because of that rhetoric being being spread. Like that's my prediction is that we're going to find out that this was someone with with very far right motivations and someone who who follows people like Tucker Carlson, like Ben Shapiro, like Matt Walsh. That's my prediction here. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to find that out at all. I mean, and Tucker Carlson has one of the largest platforms in this country that spreads his white nationalist message to millions and millions of impressionable viewers every day. And I think you really hit the nail on the head when you said that it's about education. People are being miseducated, you know, not just by the news and by the media, but in public schools. And, you know, the right wing wants you to believe that public schools are an indoctrination center for communist theory. I wish they were, but actually people are not learning such things in school and and our schools are sorely underfunded and teachers are barely able to, you know, manage teaching basic math science English classes because of the lack of funding and the over, you know, the overcrowded classrooms and, you know, lack of support. So we we really do need to focus on education first and I'm glad that TYT is dedicated to that mission.
Yeah, I always say that, and I'm not the only one. I'm sure this comes from someone else much older than me who's been doing the work for much longer than me. But we've got to not be mad at people and we've got to be mad at systems. Because even if someone were to show up to the Pelosi's and this was a targeted attack trying to take Pelosi out, What's gonna happen? I mean, we've got terribly gerrymandered districts. We've got big tech funders lobbying the elected officials who come out of San Francisco. Unless we dismantle the systems in place that lead to us having elected officials that might not represent us, we're going to have just another person step into that position. And so what we've really gotta be angry at and focus on are these systems like our public school system, for example. And right now, Democratic Party leadership isn't doing much about these big super PACs buying up school board elections, putting millions of dollars into them to get people in office who will teach a curriculum that is very ideological. These people don't want us to learn an accurate history of race in this country. They don't want us to have LGBTQ flags in the schools. And of course, they're they're fomenting this culture war to distract from the real problems. But there are real consequences to them taking over school board elections as well. So yeah, we've got to be mad at systems, not mad at people. No matter how much you don't like Nancy Pelosi, I think we can all agree that this was not the next step our country needed. This was not a development that's gonna bring our country in a positive direction. Any last thoughts on this, Ravana? No, I think that you you summed it up perfectly. Let's get into this. So this is huge. It's an unprecedented lawsuit where the CEO of Amazon, Andy Jassy, is being sued for union busting. According to a complaint that was filed on Wednesday by the NLRB, the National Labor Relations Board, Amazon CEO Andy Jassy violated labor law in two interviews he gave this year where he discussed his stance on unions at Amazon. Now keep in mind, it's very possible that people who work at Amazon were listening and tuning into these interviews. Some more details, Jassy's comments were made. After workers in Staten Island voted to organize in April with the Amazon labor union, the first warehouse of the e-commerce giant to do so. This year, the NLRB has repeatedly found Amazon to have violated workers' rights during a handful of unionization campaigns. The first interview cited by the NLRB took place April 14th, when Jassy told Andrew Ross Sorkin of CNBC's The Squawk Box that employees who are represented by a union would be less empowered in the workplace, making it more difficult for them to have direct relationships with management and making things much slower and much more bureaucratic. That was followed by a June 8th interview during the Bloomberg Tech Summit when Jassy said employees were better off without a union. He also echoed his CNBC comments about relationships with managers and the speed of work. So the Amazon labor union is very happy with this decision to move forward with the lawsuit. Labor attorney Seth Goldstein, who filed the charge on behalf of the union, said these plutocrats will no longer threaten workers in interviews with the media. They are being held accountable. Kelly Nantel, who is a spokesperson for Amazon, said the allegations were without merit and that Jassy's comments are protected by the NLRB National Labor Relations Act and decades of NLRB precedent. 
Amazon has repeatedly defended its actions and has said that it believes a direct relationship with employees are better for workers. That is just classic union busting language being used there. I mean, they're telling their workers you don't need a union. That's absurd. You can't make that decision for the workers as the company. Clearly your motivation there is that you don't want a union at that company. So more details. Under the Biden administration, the NLRB has taken a more aggressive approach to cracking down on employers who interfere with workers unionization efforts. Amazon will now have the opportunity to settle with the Amazon labor union or take the case before an administrative law judge that's gonna be over in Seattle. The NLRB is requesting that Amazon mail and email workers a notice about their labor rights. So. Let's also be mindful that Jeff Bezos owns the Washington Post, which is the source for this story. So we are in the situation where we have a, an Amazon company that is huge. It's a monopoly. It's probably the most powerful company in the entire world. And Jeff Bezos, who is the owner and founder of Amazon, also owns a significant portion of the press and gets a lot of information. This is a very scary situation and this lawsuit is setting a precedent that maybe no one should have all of that power. And someone like Andy Jassy using his platform at CEO to tell workers what is best for them when he clearly has interests that are not the same interests of the workers. If you want to be paid well and you want to have a living wage and have a meaningful life, laboring and doing calisthenics for 12 to 14 hours a day, I'm not sure is that. And they've taken away benefits and they've taken away raises for the Amazon employees. So it's just absurd he's even making these comments. Ravana, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I always find it laughable when large corporations like Amazon make statements about how much they care about their workers and they don't want them to unionize because they care about them oh so much. Because at the end of the day, Amazon is a corporation and it needs to make money for its shareholders. They want to cut costs at every corner and that includes when it comes to the wages for their workers, the conditions for their workers, their benefits. Also the statement that Workers want direct relationships with their managers. I would love for that CEO to tell that to a worker who got a text at 2 a.m. from their boss on their day off telling them they need to come in right now or harassing calls. I'm working with a client right now who's suing for discrimination, but her employer was calling her at three in the morning, driving to her house to pick her up to make her come into work on her off days because they were short. Nobody wants nobody wants a more direct relationship with their manager. They don't want their managers to have such direct control over their lives. It's better to have a union that's able to do that negotiating and to protect you because the workers, when they're not bargaining collectively, are significantly less powerful than the large corporations that can, you know, basically control every aspect of their lives. You know, that's that's where you're getting your money from. That's how you pay your rent. You don't want to go against the company. You have that fear. It's always there. It's coercive inherently. Yeah, I was on a, a phone call with Seth Goldstein, who's the, the lawyer responsible for this case. And he was feeling optimistic a few weeks ago about the lawsuits that they had against Amazon with the NLRB. 
And what they're asking for, I think, to mediate this and correct this is really important to notify all of the Amazon workers what their labor rights are. And I think maybe an email or a piece of mail doesn't suffice. I think having a meeting, a Zoom meeting with all of those workers, this is a kind of mediation tactic that the NLRB has taken before, You know, a meeting with all of the workers about harassment in the workplace to mediate ongoing harassment. Letting workers know what their rights are and that they can join a union and not be retaliated against for doing so is huge. I was at the warehouse. Uh, in San Marino Valley the other weekend, talking to a worker, signing them up with the union. And they said to me, how do I know I won't get fired for this? How do I know I won't get suspended for this? And I said, you know, that that's illegal. It would be illegal for Amazon to do that. That's against the law. They cannot punish you for trying to join the union. This is not well known among most warehouse workers at Amazon. And people are afraid to be retaliated against. And we can't have a situation where union elections are lost because of illegal union busting over and over and over again. So if the NLRB doesn't, you know, push this in the right direction, that's going to be a really bad uh you know, mark on the record of Biden, who is spreading this message that he's a very pro-labor president. He's running the administration in this way. Marty Walsh, who a lot of people are praising as being a great leader in labor. I really think they need to put some pressure on the NLRB to do the right thing here. Yeah, absolutely. I'll just say that at-will employment has been just devastating to the workers and educating them on their rights is so fundamentally important because they're up against corporations who can invest millions and millions of dollars into spreading misinformation about the the dangers of unions. Yeah, we're lucky to have you on when we talk about this with some background in in the law and, and fighting for workers. All right, we're gonna have more on the other side. We've gotta take a break, we'll be right back. Welcome back to Indisputable. We have exciting news, or 10K away from reaching our fundraising goal for the Mississippi water crisis over in Jackson. We've raised over $19,000. You can go to the website tyt.com slash relief to donate. If everyone donated $5, all of our viewers right now, we would reach our goal and help the people of Jackson, Mississippi have clean water and testing. I also interviewed Matthew Cunningham Cook, on the Jackson, Mississippi water crisis on the conversation. Check that video out to get some more details on the water crisis down there. Also reminder that Senator Nina Turner's show on Bost is now live. You can subscribe at tyt.com slash, or sorry, I'm sorry, youtube.com slash unbossed. And you can watch it at tyt.com slash live. Nina is great, I will be on every Monday, so tune in for that. Uh, Nina's really choosing stories that matter to working people and exposing corruption in the United States, which we know there's a lot of. Let's get into some member comments. Oh, Eric the Youper Dragon says, I couldn't ask for a better birthday gift. Burbank and Ravana together for the first time, pinch me. Also, double dose of Ravana, effin' sweet. Then we've got Travel Nurse Dragon who says, I don't understand why there isn't more security at the Pelosi home. I guess nobody had drawn on their sidewalk with chalk before. Maybe it's a relatively safe neighborhood. We've got Mickey C, the silver haired dragon saying, Amazon has been outed for union busting activities in many areas. We constantly hear about that, but we never see follow up stories where Amazon is punished. 
And that might be because it's a very rare situation that Amazon is punished. We've got YouTube Moon Dragon says the coup continues. All hail the coup dragon. I'm not I'm not cooing the shows. I'm just filling in where necessary. Dr. Richie does a great job running indisputable. All right, let's get into this next story here. I wish a Karen would. You want to call the police on them for having a barbecue on a and Sunday? You're going to feel great. Back off. I'm going to tell them there's an African American man threatening my life. You're not British either, okay? I was born here. Sadie, my mom. Yes, my mom. You're a whore. You're a whore. Sucking doesn't make you British. Sucking hate. Sucking hate. Get the out of my face. Don't you dare attack me now. You're the one shouting at me. You are the one who attacked me. I didn't attack you. You just pulled my head in the air. She attacked me. You. He just pulled you're stepping on my feet. Yeah, you should. You should if sit down. If you touch me, I call police. You should sit call down. Police, no, go on, let's go on. Let's you're British. Call the police. You're not British. Leave them alone. You speak English. I do better than you. What? Yes. Sucking <laughs> doesn't make you British. Horse. I never suck your. I don't want if a woman like you, I would rather be gay. So what you're missing there that's been blurred out is a lot of MFs being dropped. Uh, highly recommend watching the video with the MFs in there. It's much better with them in there. We can't show them to you, but what a situation. You've got this guy saying some extremely misogynistic stuff. I'm not sure what compels someone to say sucking D doesn't make you pretty. But the response of, of learn to speak English is just rate, uh, misogyny coming in from one way and, and kind of racism coming in from the other way. Someone making fun of someone else's accent. We have no idea what started this, but the way people treat each other in public spaces and on public transit, I think is a sign that society as a whole, especially in the Western world is very sick. Ravana, what are your thoughts? I think it's really important that this video went viral because this man's actually combating a really harmful misconception about the immigration system in the UK. You know, a lot of people might believe that sucking D is a pathway to citizenship, but it's not. So I'm glad that he was able to dispel that rumor in that way. No, I mean, I have no idea what started this. I mean, the fact that he's saying that, you know, she's not really British, I makes me wonder if maybe she said something racist to him to start it. But then the back and forth is just ridiculous um and then her kind of coming back and threatening that she is going to perform oral sex on him i really i have no context to this i have no idea what's going on um it's pretty funny to watch but people really just do need to be more respectful of of each other on public transit i take public transit every single day here in chicago you know there's this unspoken rule that you put your headphones on and then you look down at your phone for the duration of the ride and uh People should not bother you, but definitely not start fights like that. So yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous. It's funny to laugh at, but I'm sure it can be really irritating for other people who are just trying to go about their day. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the point about being British, you're not really British. I mean, Brexit, what a nightmare. The kind of like nationalism we see on the rise and in the world right now is scary. Because you're. this is how you're treating another human being. 
for what? The concept of a nation and borders of a nation. Like if you really care about a country and the people in it, don't you wanna live in the kind of country and have the pride about living in a kind of place where I don't know, people treat each other with kindness? I just, I don't understand the need to be mean to people and say, you're you're not even a real citizen here. That that's a that's a burn. That's an insult. But really, this is the consequence of that kind of rhetoric. The kind of rhetoric that was spread, fomenting support for Brexit. And we know that groups like Cambridge Analytica, which had a role in the 2016 election with Donald Trump, spreading this kind of rhetoric on social media to people they identified as susceptible or people who are swayable. It has real consequences, and sometimes they play out on public transit. Any other thoughts on this, Rayvon? Um, no, I just I watch uh, a lot of soccer, uh, the Premier League, so it's British, and you'll see um, fans of these uh, British soccer clubs feel comfortable even racially abusing black players on the teams that they support. And so it's ridiculous, I think sometimes we get so hyper focused on what's going on in America that we forget that, yeah, racism. It's not just a uniquely American thing, it happens all over the world. And when it happens, we need to stand up against it. Right, yeah. And not to mention, a lot of the people that live in Britain, I know some of these people, are people who came overseas to live there after their country was colonized by the British. And so there, there's just centuries and centuries of roots in racism today, including you know centuries of colonialism and imperialism on the hands of the British. So for them to treat other people this way for simply not being British is ridiculous. Because how did you get all of the wealth in your country? It was stolen from other people who have land and resources and by exploiting their labor, your country was built on other people. So if you're saying, you know, Britain is is so great. How did it become so great and wealthy? Uh, turns out, people who are not British are responsible for that. So, on the note of what's going on around the world and internationally, we have a, a special block of what in the red state hell international edition. You can take a gun, shoot somebody in the face. It's not hard. Sometimes it might even be fun if they're a godless commie. Now, what they're trying to do is sneak the COVID vaccine in your salads. I never had, I hate math. Somebody say amen. Listen, boys, you're a looking sight there today, boys, yeah? We were getting ready to come down to you today. We were getting ready to come down to you today in the next 20 minutes. You have to go on out of sight, boys. I'm gonna cut every one of you up when I get we're to you. Going to You're Derry. dead. We're going to Aiden to Derry's group in blue, blue blazes tonight, you Derry understand? Aiden Derry, we're I'm going. I'm gonna cut every Hattie one Hattie of you. Hattie Man, woman, or child, I'm gonna cut Hattie you up when I get to you. Hattie boy, we're going to Aiden Derry. <laughs> if you ever come around my grandfather's place I again, with weapons, I'm going out with it. I'm gonna cut you. children. And that I'm a very heavy grandchild I have. I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna lie to you. I'm gonna kill you. Come back this night. What you have to the ground, you come over to my house. I'm in the one house. I'm in the one house for the last 16 years. I'm 16 years a minute. Look around here, chap. Look around here. Look around here. I'm 16 years in the one house. You go to my mother and father's place. My mother, you knew you wouldn't get out. You will not lie in that. You wouldn't get out of it! Get shot! Bowie Man's dirt! You wouldn't get out of it! You will not lie in Eden Dairy, Paddy Boy! You will not lie in it, chap! Alright, we have two theories about what the background of this could be. But first, is that a butter knife? Is that a cake frosting knife? 
It doesn't look very sharp and I don't know if that's very threatening. And the other thing is the other guy in the video praying. He kind of <laughs> looks like he's praying. So I, I'm not sure if praying for the person that you're threatening on video is a common tactic, but it's definitely an interesting one. So let's get into the two theories we have here. They could be threatening someone for bad reasons, right? They could maybe not like this person or as Ravana pointed out, and I'm sure we'll get into it in a second. There are a lot of comments on this video, but this could be the type of situation where someone wronged them. They have a family business. They're clearly threatening someone who showed up to the family business and they could be threatening someone who started it all, but we don't know the background. Ravana, you wanna talk a little bit about your thoughts? Yeah, so these people are Irish. Travelers, which is a small ethnic group of Irish people who are heavily discriminated against. There's no relation to the Romani people, but they're often referred to as gypsies, which is a slur typically used for Romani people. So they face systemic discrimination, particularly in housing. People running for a UK parliament have run on a platform saying that they will not allow Irish travelers in housing developments within their areas that they represent. So it is a huge problem that they face. And and there he says in at one point, if you could decipher it, if you ever come around my grandfather's house with weapons again. So it sort of insinuates that they have been there before and brought weapons with them. I wonder if they were higher caliber weapons than the cake knife and the wooden spoon, which I, between the two of them, I don't know which one is a more serious weapon. Maybe the spoon, I feel like you might be able to do more with that than the than that butter knife. Just knocking him on the head with the spoon, I think might be a little bit more painful than, I don't know, I don't know. Choose your fighter, we should have done a poll. You know, Would you rather fight a battle with a, a cake frosting knife or a wooden spoon? But yeah, I mean, what's going on here is clearly there's some beef. But what's most interesting is now we can threaten people with social media videos. We can just record a video of us threatening someone. I think about how this would have played out 100 years ago. It would have been a very strongly worded letter and all of them would have been sitting around a table. But now we can just record ourselves on social media and send it along. And I wonder if this kind of threat is effective. I've actually got a third working theory that this was them just recording the most aggressive advertisement for their bakery possible. <laughs> you know, just trying to go viral, <laughs> sell some brownies. Yeah, they're cooking up they're cooking up some drama over there at the bakery, baking up some drama. All right, we've got to take a break. More for you on the other side. Welcome back to Indisputable. On TYT, I'm Jessica Burbank. Indisputable is where we believe that the truth is indisputable. And the truth is that Kevin DeLeon is a racist who needs to resign from public office. Kevin DeLeon was one of the city council members in Los Angeles who was involved in a conversation with Nuri Martinez, Ron Herrera, and Gil Cedillo, where they talked about gerrymandering districts to dilute black power, black votes, and the financial assets in districts in Los Angeles to consolidate their own power. They included a lot of anti-black remarks and racist remarks towards the Oaxacan community and indigenous community and other groups. And throughout this recording, Kevin DeLeon is participating and amending what other people are saying. Let's refresh our memory and watch a bit of that. Go get the airport from his little brother, mm-hmm. that little bitch bonnet. Hell I, go, what? I go, I go, what is with the bonnet? What is with bonnet? And I said, bonnet is 
Black guys don't think he's black. He thinks he's black. I know the same thing. Why are they so close? The Wizard of Oz effect. And what I mean by the Wizard of Oz effect is yeah. when you're at the side of the curtain, it's like this big voice. Yeah. And it sounds big. Uh, and it sounds like there's thousands of them. And then when you actually pull the curtain, is that you see the little Wizard of Oz. You know what? I've never watched the movie. It's the same scene. Right. It's real simple. You got 100 people, right? 52 of them are Mexicanos. I feel pretty good about it. Yeah. I feel pretty good about my chances of beating your ass. 25 are for black. <laughs> and the 25 blacks are shouting. And the but they, they shout like they're 250. Yeah. When there's 100 of us, when they're, they're right. like, it sounds like so but they, but, but. So what's going on there is it seems that they only understand politics and political power from the context of racial divisions. Talking about Mike Bonin's child. Like he's a political accessory because that's how they understand human human beings to be and that's how they understand race. And the 25 blacks that they say were shouting, there are far more activists and organizers and people in Los Angeles that want them out that are not happy with the way they're running city council, not happy with these comments, they're unacceptable. And so in response, instead of resigning and stepping down for this, Kevin DeLeon is going on a PR campaign to try and win people back over and in his words, heal instead of resigning. So he said, I have to do the hard work to repair the ties with my brothers and with my sisters in our African American community. He said, insisting that stepping down would actually be the easy way out. The easy way out? DeLeon is refusing to resign from a job that he is not even doing. Uh, he's not been in city council meetings. De Leon has been removed as the head of the Homelessness and Poverty Committee, as well as the Budget and Finance Committee. Cedillo was removed as the chair of the Housing Committee and a committee that uh, reviews major development projects. If De Leon manages to out the remaining two years of his term, taxpayers will be paying him about $568,000 in combined salary and pension. So, members, of Black Lives Matter grassroots and BLM LA. A lot of those folks were included in what they said with the, the 25 blacks shouting. They actually made t-shirts that say uh, the 25 blacks shouting or 25 black people shouting, which is exactly the words they should have used instead of talking about people in the way that they did insensitively in that meeting. They've been protesting at Kevin DeLeon's house about two houses down where a neighbor lended them the front yard. We wanna be very clear that that is not Kevin's house. Please don't direct any anger to the house where you see the encampment, but they've been sleeping out for it's now 14 days and I've been out there with them as well and a lot of the neighbors in Eagle Rock where Kevin DeLeon's house is are very supportive. So it's far more than just a few activists as they said. DeLeon went on to Tavis Smiley's radio show on KBLA. And this is a really interesting clip where Kevin DeLeon is stumped. Let's watch. Every time they hear you say, that's not who I am in public, but in private, we heard you 
You got a different Kevin Daniel? I can tell you. That's not who I am. Um, there's a protest outside of your house. I saw the news last night. There were two members of the council. Two council members were on your front lawn last night. I saw Mike Bonin last night. I saw Marquise Harris Dawson on your front lawn last night. So you're getting these, you're creating these visceral responses in people. And I just don't know emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, existentially, why you want to stay in this space. I mean, this is this has got to be, this has got to be tough. To just stay in this space and keep trying to trudge through this. Is it that, is it that serious? Now, but listen, you know, Tavis, you resign and you walk away, and that's it. But the atonement, the dialogue, that has to be made. It has to be done. And that's what I'm committed to. What, 100%. What, what, and my point is that you're not in the room making decisions. You're not voting on the motions. You're not voting on the issues that matter to your constituents. So when you say that your constituents would be left without a voice if you weren't there, you ain't there now. I'm trying to allow some time to heal. I'm trying to allow some time not to be part of the chaos at this moment. So when you see Kevin DeLeon pause there and kind of nod his head and be silent and his eyes go kind of blank, that's when the in his head is is buffering. So what he's committed to is $268,000. That's the amount of money he's going to get paid. He's not committed to healing because what we need first is accountability and responsibility, then we can get into the healing process. And that's exactly why the protesters are camping out at the house. That's why protesters were outside of KBLA while he was doing that interview. Because this is a situation where we need him to take accountability and we need him to take responsibility and step down so we can begin to heal and get someone in that position who will actually fight for the people, but at the very least not be taking a salary to sit at home and not be in those city council meetings. And despite his refusal to resign, the city council voted unanimously to censure De Leon along with current and former city council members for their part in the scandal. That includes Gil Cedillo who has been voted out, but has three months left in his term who is still in office. Ron Herrera and Nuri have stepped down. So the vote appeared to mark the first time the city council has censured one of its own members. A move that carries no legal weight, but adds to the public pressure on city council members Gil Cedillo and Kevin DeLeon to resign. Council member Nuri Martinez stepped down two weeks ago. An effort to recall Kevin DeLeon from the Los Angeles City Council is moving forward. The LA City Clerk's office has accepted the notice of intent from a recall organizer. DeLeon's office has 21 days to acknowledge the notice. Once that happens, the recall organizer has to wait 28 days before signature gathering can begin. More than 20,000 signatures need to be gathered in 120 days before they can be verified and sent to city council to move forward with a special election. So you're looking at you know, nearly 60 days there. Uh, that's a long time. He's got to resign now because they are going to disrupt city council meetings and not allow the city council to meet until he does resign. Kevin DeLeon is the reason things are being held up in Los Angeles. He has got to go. And this is much bigger than LA because politicians all over our country are engaging in these exact kind of conversations, this exact kind of political deal making, this exact kind of racist rhetoric and intentionally diluting black and indigenous people's 
votes in power. So it's much bigger than LA. So I know you live in Chicago, but Ravana, what do you think about what's going on here? Yeah, I mean, first I want to say that that he is pretending that the only way that he can start the healing process is while sitting as a council member is absolutely ridiculous. There is no reason why you, and I don't think that he has any genuine want to do this. But if he did, there's absolutely no reason why you couldn't work to repair your relationship with the black community in LA. Um, Outside of office, that he should resign and step down immediately. The other thing I wanted to say was that he is claiming that he is, you know, continuing to be in office because he wants to represent the people of his district. I don't know if that's the correct term, but he wants to continue to give them a voice. Despite the fact that he's not going to council meetings anyways, aside from the fact that he's been stripped of committee positions. But on top of that, if you wanted to represent the people who elected you, they want you to step down. They've been calling for you to step down, you know, and you have continuously refused to. If you actually wanted to represent the interests of them, you would listen to them and step down. And it goes to show that some there are politicians who do take and seek elected office because they genuinely want to give a voice to the people who they seek to represent, but this is a very good example of politicians who just want to get positions of power and hold on to those positions of power. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And the people in Eagle Rock in his district that come by the encampment, they're always saying to us, you know, I voted for him a while ago. None of us knew that this is who this guy was. We all want him out. Like, what can we do to help you out? We support you being here. And power concedes nothing without a demand. I know there are a lot of people who, you know, have weird feelings about folks camping out at elected officials' houses, Kevin DeLeon included. He was one of the city council members who voted on a piece of legislation that protests protesters cannot be outside of public officials houses. They have to be at least 300 feet away, which the encampment is. But if someone was protesting at your house, a regular citizen, it would be absolutely no problem. But listen, if we were to just petition and Kevin DeLeon was still doing his PR tour, still refusing to resign, what do we think would happen? He would wait out the media cycle. And that's why we've gotta be in city council meetings, the people are out camping at his house. Because power really concedes nothing without a demand. And we're lucky to have good organizers in Los Angeles like Dr. Melina Abdullah, Baba Akili, Joseph, Jason, Michael, Sheila. There are a lot of really good people getting behind the people and allowing them to take the opportunity to take action so that they live in the kind of city that reflects their values. And we get these kind of extremely racist politicians out. Any last thoughts on this, Ravana? Yeah, just, you know, they have power and they have money, but we have people. And when we come together, when we organize to fight for something that we believe in, that the money, all the money and power in the world can't stop us. So, you know, if you're able to get out there to help protest, you know, get involved. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what he says, you know, this isn't in my heart. You know, if you're saying the words, this is not who you are, this, you showed us exactly who you are, Kevin. All right, let's get into this next story because oil companies are also showing us exactly who they are. Oil giants Shell and Total are reporting record profits totaling nearly $20 billion. They are benefiting from partly stoked high energy prices due to Russia's war in the Ukraine. We saw supply get constrained, we saw you know, the price for a barrel of oil go up. And if you're going to increase prices to account for additional costs because of constrained supply, you've got to increase production or what have you, 
you would be seeing the same kind of revenue streams if you're just raising prices to account for those additional costs. But they're experiencing record profits, which tells us they have raised prices for far more than is necessary. They are price gouging in a time of crisis. So London based Shell reported earnings of 9.45 billion for the third quarter, its second highest profit on record. On the same day, Paris-based Total Energies reported a profit of 9.9 billion. For both companies, the profits were more than double what they earned in the same period one year ago. Shell is returning a large chunk of the bounty to shareholders. It planned to increase its dividend to shareholders for the fourth quarter by 15% which is about 29 cents a share. The company also pledged to buy back $4 billion worth of its shares, bringing total buybacks announced this year to $18.5 billion or 10% of the company's share capital. Shell's share price jumped 4.5% in trading in London on Thursday. Total, which has had been hit by a strike by refinery workers in France, also said that it would reward all employees worldwide with a bonus equivalent to one month's salary. The share price rose nearly 3%. So both are major players in liquefied natural gas, especially now with this enormous demand to replace Russian gas with Russia being sanctioned. So prices have soared. But these companies are really taking advantage of this situation by having these record profits. And we were in a situation where they should have increased production, but instead they thought of the shareholders. They thought about prolonging the extraction of their oil reserves so they can continue to profit quarter after quarter and make shareholders money at the expense of everybody who relies on gas and oil for their energy and to fuel up their cars to go to work. This is not a business that is run with the interests of consumers in mind. The people who can hardly afford to pay their bills is the consequence of these shareholders getting richer and richer. But funnily enough, we've got reporting. Some of Total's LNG comes from a Russian project called Yamal. Total also owns nearly 20% stake in a Russian gas company called Novatech, Yamal's main owner. Total said it was writing down the value of its Russian businesses by $3.1 billion, leaving $6.1 billion in Russian assets. Meanwhile, Shell said it has not been obligated to pay the windfall tax on oil and gas profits enacted earlier this year by the government. The tax allows companies to deduct capital expenditures. Shell has not paid yet because its capital expenditure on oil and gas projects in the British North Sea reduced profits. So let's look at this guy. This is Ben Van Bearden. Shell's chief executive said he accepted that higher taxes might be placed on oil companies to partly finance programs that help vulnerable people pay their energy bills, which are soaring in the UK. He said, quote, I think we should be prepared and accept that our industry will be looked at for raising taxes in order to fund the transfers to those who need it most. Last month, it was announced that Van Buren would step down at the end of the year. I'm sure the shareholders were not too happy about that. Now, returning to stateside, we've got some relevant reporting from Ken Clippenside with or Klippenstein with the intercept. So uh, let's talk about the Federal Reserve for a second, which I love talking about. The Federal Reserve has come under scrutiny in recent months for its aggressive interest rate hikes designed to, as Chairman Jerome Powell said, get wages down and then get inflation down. The 
The Fed's own research has warned that its aggressive policy mirrors a similar one that caused a severe recession under Paul Volcker in the 1980s. Even the United Nations, which recently warned that the Fed's rate hikes risk inflicting worse damage than the financial crisis in 2008 and the COVID shock in 2020. So besides managing monetary policy in the United States, the Federal Reserve is also tasked with regulating banks. The intense lobbying the Fed is subjected to is targeted at these banking regulations. Just to take one example, the Chamber of Commerce, the main business lobby in the United States reported lobbying on Powell's nomination along with Federal Reserve regulatory reform. In other words, deregulation Powell was known to favor as part of its $15.39 million in lobbying activities in the first quarter of 2018. The Fed under Powell would go on to water down key elements of Dodd-Frank banking regulations passed in the wake of the 2008 financial crisis. In 2022 alone, over 120 groups reported lobbying the Fed on issues ranging from credit card fees to cryptocurrency to sprawling monetary policy initiatives such as mortgage finance. US banks saw their profits rise 7.8% in the second quarter of 2022 because of the rate hikes, though profits were still down year over year. And I know for a lot of people who are not super familiar with how the Fed makes monetary policy, it's operating on false pretenses, models that have not been proven. This idea that if you increase interest rates, there will be less investment in businesses, less businesses will grow or they won't grow as much, less people will start businesses because it's expensive to borrow money and get that initial funding. Therefore, there will be less jobs, more people will be competing for jobs. And wages can be reduced because workers will be willing to take jobs for lower wages because they'll be so desperate for work. That also benefits corporations who don't want to pay workers higher wages. So we're benefiting the banks, we're benefiting corporations, and we're telling the story that we have to do this to bring inflation down. And you should agree with us because don't you hate paying high prices? But really what's going on behind the scenes is rich people are making themselves richer again in America. Ravana? Yeah, so I've seen a lot of news coverage, media coverage of the rising inflation crisis, of the rising price of gas, and they you know, often blame different entities. They'll blame Joe Biden, they'll blame the war in Russia, they'll blame Putin specifically. If you're watching Fox News, they might blame Zelensky. And and some of those definitely do share in the blame for, for the inflation crisis and for rising gas prices. But what I never see them call out and who I never see them put the blame on are the oil and gas corporations who have been making massive profits during this time, you know, rolling around swimming, swimming in Scrooge McDuck style piles of money in their homes while you know average working class Americans are wondering how they're going to be able to put gas in their car to get to work while there are people in the UK who aren't turning the heat on in their homes because it's too cold. I read an article about a man who has been sitting in his car during the daytime because he says that the way the sun beats down on his windshield, it's actually warmer for him to be in his car than inside of his house. This is an 80 year old man. I mean, people are freezing to death inside their own homes because they can't afford their electricity bill because you know it's powered by oil and gas and they've been jacking up the prices. And you know, I think it's it's time that, I mean, and I don't expect corporate media to do it. 
but but it's time to start calling out these corporations who are profiting off of the workers' sufferings. It's horrendous what's happening. We live in a country that doesn't have a you know fantastic public infrastructure in most parts of the country, especially if you're not in an urban area. People really rely on their vehicles, and if they can't put gas in their cars, they can't get to work. So so not even just having to pay higher gas prices, you know, this really does impede their ability to make a living for themselves and provide for themselves. So you know, it it goes so much deeper, and and we really can point at these oil and gas companies and the, their corporate greed and how they've been lining their pockets off our suffering as a major cause of this. And you know, it's a perfect opportunity to highlight that. And it's been really sad to see these media companies and these news organizations drop the ball on that. Yeah, absolutely. You had Fox News running programming on how you know we've got increased domestic production. The real reason we weren't increasing domestic production is because they didn't want to cut into their revenue and returns to shareholders by building new rigs and drilling new wells. All they think about is shareholders and profits, and they could be reinvesting their revenue in clean energy because the products they're selling emits carbon, which is destroying our planet. We could go on and on about this, but we have to take a break and we'll see you on the other side. Hello, this is Jessica Burbank filling in for Dr. Rashad Ritchie. We are back on Indisputable and I'm reminding you again that we are $10,000 away from the fundraising goal for the Mississippi water crisis down in Jackson, Mississippi. The reason we have to fundraise and the reason the government doesn't have the money to cover these costs is one, because they're not appropriated by the federal government. And two, there's an interesting situation with municipal bonds in Jackson. You can learn more about that with the interview with Matthew Cunningham Cook on the conversation. To make a donation, go to tyt.com relief. Our goal is to send clean water and testing kits to the people of Jackson, Mississippi. Now, reminder to join J.R. Jackson on the watch list. 9 a.m. Pacific time, or as J.R. would say, specific time, 12 p.m. Eastern time. Watch live daily and subscribe at youtube.com slash watchlisttyt. I join J.R. on Mondays, which is the best day of the week. Now, coming up, we've got Galaxy Brain with Ben Carollo on Twitch. Make sure to join her today as she talks through important stories of the day. You can tune in there, twitch.com.tv slash TYT after indisputable 1 p.m. specific time, 4 p.m. Eastern time. Let's get into some comments. I didn't mean to skip your comments during the last block, but we've got them now. How many HOAs in high-end neighborhoods have expelled people for racism and had the FHA come after the racist for discrimination? What's stopping a unilateral effort to pressure him? That's a good question. Kai might be a dragon. We should be looking into that. The people in Eagle Rock who are residents of the community should be looking into that. All right, we've got Lynn who says De Leon reacted the same way DeSantis did when asked during his debate if he would serve his whole term as governor. Yeah, it's this kind of very not genuine, but like a hushed voice trying to seem really sincere, trying to seem like you're taking accountability when you're actually doing nothing to do so. Same thing, Travel Nurse Dragon said, when you are the problem, you can't be a part of the healing. Really fire comments there. Oil companies, oil futures have been stably low for years. They're loving this crisis. Second Thought has a new video about crisis profiteering. Yeah, the oil market being in backwardation and the speculation there was a huge problem. 
We've got another person on YouTube, Amanda Tucker commenting on DeLeon. He just wants to stay in power and he doesn't actually feel bad. His body language tells it all. Dude ain't doesn't care. I agree, dude ain't doesn't care. That's, you said it better than I could. All right, let's get into this next story. Uh, the Philly Police Department's at it again. What a police department they have out in Philly. So this is 20 year old Samir Ahmad, who's a Philadelphia Sheriff's deputy that was hired in February. He was fired and arrested, or February 2018, not of this year, but was fired and arrested earlier this month for allegedly selling methamphetamine and guns to an FBI informant, including two guns allegedly used in the ambush at Roxborough High School last month. If convicted, Ahmad faces a maximum of 15 years in prison for what's been done there. The current sheriff, Rochelle Bilal, said in a statement after his arrest was announced that Ahmad joined prior to Bilal taking over elected office. US Attorney Jacqueline C. Ramiro also issued a statement on the deputy's arrest. As alleged, Samir Ahmad had abused his authority to the greatest extent possible. As a sworn law enforcement officer, the defendant was allegedly illegally selling firearms on the street to at least one person who was not permitted to possess them, adding fuel to the already incendiary fire of deadly gun violence in the city of Philadelphia. Federal prosecutors alleged two of the guns Ahmad sold to the FBI informant on October 13th were involved in the Roxborough High School shooting after a football scrimmage that killed 14-year-old Nicholas Elizalde. Here's Nicholas's photo. On September 27th, at least four individuals opened fire on a group of teams leaving the scrimmage. Five teams were or five teens were shot, but Nicholas was fatally wounded. Philadelphia Police Commissioner Danielle Outlaw, yes, her name is really outlaw, also released a statement on Ahmad's arrest calling the charges incredibly disturbing and allege outrageous conduct that stands in stark contrast with everything society expects from law enforcement officers. So I wanna pause here and just address that, you know, this was someone who came into law enforcement and so frequently we see the police overlooking working class communities and communities of color. And then when you have these members enter the police force, why is it that it's so frequently officers of color that are held accountable, but white officers are not? Really just, just shocking here. The FBI was involved with this. I'm sure the FBI has better things to be up to. But nevertheless, you know, we can't accept corruption wherever it happens, but in the eyes of the law, uh, people who are people of color, people who are black are treated very differently from white people. That includes those within law enforcement. Something else about the Philadelphia Police Department that many officers were participating in. Last month, NBC 10 Philadelphia found that for more than a decade, if Philadelphia police officers made a typo or were unable to record a precise location for a crime committed in the city, the department would mark the incidents or the incident with GPS coordinates inside Disney World in Florida, specifically the area behind Cinderella's castle known as Fantasyland. It became the default location for inaccurate crime data. And if they entered nothing at all, it would end up being marked as Disney World Florida, despite them serving in Philadelphia. The NBC 10 investigators learned that over the past six years, more than 5,000 crimes, including 16 arsons, 
homicides and 298 auto thefts were plotted to Disney World. No other location within city limits has more recorded Philadelphia crime. The department's director of research and analysis, Kevin Thomas, said he had not heard of the Disney World coordinates policy until NBC 10 brought it to his attention. But after he learned about the practice, he asked others in the department who said the choice map to certain crimes to Disney World was made more than 10 years ago. The location was chosen intentionally so that bad data would not muddle Philadelphia crime stats, he said. But to bring it back to the police selling things and making a profit, this was someone who was a member of the community in Philadelphia who became, you know, the deputy sheriff. And it almost seems like it's an if you can't beat them, join them situation because police have been robbing the community for quite some time. Let's get into asset forfeiture. This is according to the Institute for Justice's third edition of Policing for Profit, which was released in 2020. And it presented the largest ever collection of state and federal forfeiture data, which is when the police take items from people. 17 million data points covering 45 states, the District of Columbia and the federal government. These data show forfeiture is a massive nationwide problem. Since 2000, states and the federal government have forfeited at least $68.8 billion that we know of. Not all states provided full data, so this figure drastically undercounts property taken from people through forfeiture. But $68.8 billion, these are police officers taking things of value from the community, some of them selling them. I'm sure this is not the first case of that happening. Ravana? Yeah, I'm, I'm disappointed to learn that what I thought was the happiest place on earth is apparently just descending into chaos and crime. Mickey Mouse really needs to get on the job and clean up his streets. But regarding him selling the weapon that was then used in a school shooting. So we know about this case. But it begs the question, how often are police officers as sheriffs involved in selling drugs, selling weapons, selling things that they obtain through their their job as a police officer to the public involved in these crimes that we don't hear of? How often is it covered up by these police departments because they don't want to have some sort of, you know, some sort of scandal, some sort of controversy? How many times are our police officers protected by their police department and not held accountable for these crimes that they're involved in? I I think it must be a lot because we don't hear about a lot of these cases. But from what I know through you know research, what I know from people who work in civilian accountability for police officers, police departments that. It is much more systemic than this. I mean, you have the LA Sheriff's Department where members are in white supremacist gangs involved in crime and extensive cover-ups. You know, so we have a story where light was shed on the situation and there was accountability, but it's just one step. We need to continue to call for accountability across all police departments in the United States. Yeah. It- it's shocking as someone who used to work in data, like if you put in an incomplete address and it's not fully accurate, they should probably save that data instead of saving Disney World. Because if your intent is to protect and serve the community, don't you want to remember where violent crimes are happening instead of logging Disney World? Oh, Is it the case that they're not there to protect and serve the community? Yeah, maybe, sounds right to me, all right.
Let's go to this next story. This is hectic. Uh, a video on social media of high school students in Louisiana. It shows them making racist comments and using the N word. It's led to two arrests in Huma, or Huma Louisiana. Right there, right there. There are everywhere. They ran out of chicken because. In the video, at least two Terrebonne High School students on and off camera are chanting and even singing the N word many times. Next, white the two white teens that were in the video, they were the voices on the video. They panned to two black students calling them the slur. The two students were charged with hate crimes, inciting a riot and cyberbullying on October 26th. The police went to the high school on Wednesday to arrest these teenagers. The Huma Police Department will not tolerate this type of behavior, and this incident is still under investigation. We would like to encourage parents to have a conversation with their children about what occurred today and find out if they were affected by it. We would also like to encourage everybody to be patient and allow the proper authorities to handle this situation as the investigation continues. So those police officers went to the school to arrest the children. Then they say, you know, everybody be patient, let us investigate. Here's the thing, everybody has seen the video. We don't have to be patient and wait for an investigation because we can see what's happened. And it's really a shame that the police love to protect people who are doing terribly racist things in the community. This is Lieutenant Travis Theroyt who made that statement. Turnbone Parish School Superintendent Bubba Ordron released a statement as well. Terrebonne Parish School is aware of a student video with despicable language and thoughts. This type of behavior and disgusting display of content will never be tolerated by our school system and has been immediately addressed by the school district and proper authorities. So here is Bubba Orgeron. He also, or sorry, we have NAACP Terrebonne Parish Chapter President Jerome Boykin, who released a statement about this as well, who said the most important thing I think it sends a message to the community from the school standpoint that it won't be tolerated and from law enforcement that it won't be tolerated also. Yeah, I think that's really important because as we see kids who are teenagers, these are not adults yet. Clearly they've been taught these things in their homes, in the household. And we've gotta make sure that we don't have kids harming other kids in the schools, which is supposed to be a place for learning not a place where you're met with terribly racist rhetoric. The kids hopefully will be all right. You know, We've seen in a lot of schools across the country, students organizing walkouts when they have school policies they don't like. But these kind of situations between you know two students and a group of, of black students, these are not the type of things that get a lot of news coverage, but happen all too frequently in the United States, especially in the American South. Ravana, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, school should be a place where students feel safe and they can focus on learning and socializing. It should not be a place where they're being subject to racial abuse, discrimination, because when that happens in schools, the schools no longer, you know, become a safe, comfortable place for those students, which impedes their ability to learn. I mean, if you're 
constantly looking over your shoulder, you're afraid that someone's gonna come up and call you a slur. You're not gonna be able to do well in your studies. You're not gonna be able to focus. And now you're you know, creating an environment that students don't even wanna to go to. So it's good that they did take action. You know, I don't think that we should have to wait any longer. I mean, the video is extraordinarily clear. You know, this was a racist abuse of these students inciting an attack. You know, they, everyone who had heard it, everyone who's seen it, knows that you know they should be more you know forthright if they have to do an investigation they do but i mean it shouldn't take very long i would like to see them you know come forward in the next day or two uh you know giving you know more details to the public about what their next steps are going to be and we do have that video i'm wondering are we able to play this video All right, we're gonna we're gonna show you all this video. We did get it exclusively, but now we've seen it posted to social media. Uh, and the police said to withhold your judgments, but you be the judge. Let's watch. Right there, right there, there are everywhere. They ran out of chicken. Those are kids, man, it's clear as day what's going on in that video. All right, the truth is indisputable and the truth is in that video. And we'll be back with more indisputable truths. We'll see you when we're back. We're back on indisputable and we've got some interesting news about Chuck Schumer. New York Senator Chuck Schumer was caught on a hot mic while speaking with President Biden expressing concerns about Herschel Walker's Senate bid in Georgia. Let's watch. Yes. Let's see. So it's a little hard to hear in that video. But what's said is, it looks like the debate didn't hurt us too much in Pennsylvania as of today. So that's good, Schumer saying these things. We're picking up steam in Nevada and the state we're going downhill is Georgia. It's hard to believe they will go for Herschel Walker. And he's correct because recent polling shows in Georgia that the Senate race is pretty much neck and neck. So you can see, you know, we've got about 39% for Raphael Warnock, people definitely voting, 33% for Herschel Walker, 46% definitely not for Herschel Walker, 40% definitely not for Raphael Warnock, about 11% maybe for Herschel, 10% maybe for Warnock. So this is a close race and it can go either way. And this is what happens when you don't deliver on policy. Raphael Warnock ran on giving people $2,000 checks. And I think we all remember how that went when we had Democrats win the majority in the Senate. It ended up being a fight to get those $2,000 checks and people were shorted on those checks. So polls show 
that economic concerns remain top of mind for voters who on this issue tend to distrust the Democratic Party, which has held the White House and Congress as inflation has spiked. The share of likely voters who say economic issues are most important concern are the most important concerns facing America stands at 44%, which is a jump from 36% who said so in July, according to a New York Times Siena poll released last week. So if Democrats want to get their act together and want to win in these races and win in Georgia, they've got to center issues that matter most to working people in this country. Ravana? Yeah, I mean, first of all, huge mistake by Senator Schumer. You shouldn't be discussing, you know, your your internal polling when there's a potential that it could be picked up by the media, because that's just going to be used against you. But it definitely, you know, it comes down to the fact that they haven't delivered on their promises. There are promises made, not kept. I was hoping that we'd maybe have a very late October surprise today from Joe Biden. To help them with get a boost in the last days moving towards the midterms. It doesn't seem like it's gonna happen. Um, but they really, really haven't delivered. And that it seems shocking that people are gonna vote for Herschel Walker, who pulled out a fake police badge on the debate stage. But uh, you know, it's possible and it, he might win that election. It'd be terrible for America and the American people if he does. But I'm gonna, you know, keep my fingers crossed that Raphael Warnock comes out on top in that one. I will say I'm happy to hear that. Chuck Schumer said that they haven't, you know, taken a hit in Pennsylvania post debate, despite what every single, you know, deeply entrenched in DC media figure wants you to believe happened. And Nevada has been concerning too. So for him to say that they're going up there is good as well. But really, if they wanted to, you know, have an easy time in these midterms, if they wanted to coast to, you know, a continued control of the Senate and the House, they should have delivered for the American people. They failed to do it, and now they are having to play catch up in these final days. Yeah, so well said, Ravana. Ravana, where can people find your work if they want to watch more of your stuff? Yeah, so you can see me every Thursday here on TYT's Twitch channel at 4 p.m. or 5 p.m. Excuse me, Eastern Time. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ravana TTV, and you can see my videos every Friday on Rebel HQ on Facebook and YouTube. Amazing! Thank you so much for joining us today and breaking down the news. Lots of chaotic things happening within the Democratic Party and more broadly in this country. We've got midterms coming up, and we have special election coverage on November 8th. Make sure you tune into that. I'll be there. I'll see you all next week, and we'll see you all tomorrow, 11 a or 11:30 Pacific time. So we'll see you there. Make sure you tune into Ben Carollo's Galaxy Brain at 4 p.m. right after this on Twitch. Thanks for being with us today. We'll see you next time. Welcome to Indisputable. I'm your host, Dr. Rashad Richard. We got a lot happening today. But what do we do on this show? We tell the truth. You know why we tell the truth? Because the truth is simply indisputable. Rashad, great to be here. Congratulations on the new show. And I gotta let everybody know that Rashad and I go way back. Here's the pattern that we see in all of these Karen stories. They think they own stuff they do not own. Now, where does that come from? I don't know, maybe slavery. Maybe they think they should still own black people. This is what happens when Karens weaponize the police. When you're used to privilege, equality seems like oppression. It hits you in a certain way when someone 
is holding you against your will, treating you like you're a criminal and you're an innocent person. This is something that black people face no matter where they are. A stronger black economy lends itself to a stronger, greater economy. Don't think it's exclusive of you, it's inclusive of you. What's your beef with critical race theory? It adds more fuel to the fire of the racist tendencies that we already have. We have a generation of problem solvers that can remedy the problem if they are properly taught what the problem is. You know who created redlining in this country? Mm-hmm. The white liberal. I, I, don't, I don't give a damn who created it. If it's well, a racist I, 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 policy, I, I, racist I, policy. Shelly, here's what I don't to. know. I don't know. See, there you go filibustering, brother. You're scared of this truth, but you're gonna get it though.